text is going to be found in John chapter 11 as you're looking uh, that up or getting it uh, queued up in your uh, electronic device. Uh, just want to acknowledge that we're going through something unique right now that comes as no surprise to you. Uh, but uh, in trying to cope with that, there's a lot of fears and anxieties. There's some people have fear about the, um, about the disease itself, about uh, getting the, uh, the virus. Um, and, and in that regard, just pay attention to the instructions from uh, the, uh, the authorities and the experts and do what they tell us to do. And if we all behave ourselves, uh, then we'll get through that together. There, there are many, though, uh, who are struggling, actually have, uh, have uh, contracted the, the, the illness, and sadly, many who have lost loved ones, and we pray for them uh, today. There are others who have anxiety about finances, and certainly there's a financial uh, problem that's going on right now. And as Randy mentioned, please let us know. If, if there's something the church can do, we've got funds set aside for that. Uh, so let us know what we can do to help you through uh, financial difficulty. But one of the problems we're having is just plain and simple. We're all going stir-crazy, uh, being cooped up. You know, we thought that wouldn't heaven be great when I'm with all my loved ones for all eternity? And uh, right now, that theology is being put to the test. Uh, we do have the feeling that in heaven, perhaps, uh, uh, there will be a perfection of the soul that will get us through that. Uh, but uh, there, there is a, a certain amount of anxiety. There's a certain amount of displacement. Uh, I would just uh, encourage you to do what the, uh, those in the know have told us to do. Do things like have a regular schedule. Um, get up in the morning and get dressed, start the day, have a project, have something to do. Uh, it's important for children to have structure in their lives. Uh, reach out and um, contact other people through the social media that, uh, that we're blessed with in our own time. So um, certainly do all those kinds of things. Uh, but the, the thing is that we all respond to these challenges differently. Uh, we all come into a moment of crisis and we don't react the same. Uh, there's a little bit of differences. It might be categories, but basically uh, we're all unique individuals. And so uh, be honest and be real. Uh, let others help you reach out um, and certainly uh, trust in the, in the grace and the mercy of God. I think we see something of that, and that's why I mentioned all this in John chapter 11. Now my actual text this morning is in John uh, 11, and uh, yes, verse 35. John 11:35, and um, I'll read the whole verse for you. It won't take long. Jesus wept. Now, one of the reasons to preach on this verse is because it's the favorite of junior high school boys. Whenever they're told, memorize a verse of the Bible, this is the one they go to. They know it's the shortest verse in the English Bible. Uh, maybe not in the, in the Greek and the Hebrew, but in, in English, this is the uh, shortest verse. And uh, the other reason to preach from it is that it might result in a very short sermon. Uh, au contraire, that's not exactly what's going to happen this morning. But uh, this, this verse, so simple and so short, actually is very profound in its nature. Because Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, walked among us. He experienced all the things of life that we experienced. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. Um, I don't know if he got um, sort of um, frustrated with his disciples, but he certainly had a right to. 
uh, in that regard. He did at one point say, how long will I be with you? Uh, so uh, Jesus experienced all the aspects of our human experience within um, his life. And so when the Bible says Jesus wept, it reminds us of the complete and total uh, humanity of Christ. This isn't the first time uh, that the Bible says Jesus wept. Uh, in Luke chapter 19, uh, we read how Jesus came to Jerusalem, and before he entered the city, he was looking down on the city, and the Bible says in Luke 19, 41, that Jesus wept over the city. And he cried out, he said, you know, if only you had known what actually brings peace to you. If you had only actually known where your hope is really found. He looked down on a city and he saw a city filled with um, politics and a city filled with religiosity. He saw a, a city filled with merchants and those who thought life consisted of how much they could get. He saw average people. He saw noble people. He saw the, the high and the low. And he saw them and he wept over the people because they didn't understand where true peace came from. And so Jesus was moved uh, by... Uh, the, the estate of the people around us. The, the Bible says that when he saw the people and they, they looked to him to be like sheep without a shepherd, it says it, it, it tied him up in knots. He was moved with compassion is too gentle a way to phrase it. It, it. it was like a kick in the gut to him to see people suffering like that. And so we find here in Jesus wept, we find pointing to the absolute humanity of Christ. But more than that... Um, and to really appreciate how deep this verse is, I want for us to back up and get a running start into John eleven thirty five. Now, John 11 is the chapter that tells us about the death of Lazarus. Lazarus was the friend of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus loved Lazarus uh, about his death. And then ultimately, Jesus calling Lazarus forth from the grave and raising Lazarus uh, to life. Um, and with all that going on, though, the front part of the chapter really deals with the reaction that the people had and the reaction of the sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary, and how they reacted to this situation in which their brother first sick and then had died and how they responded to that and then how Jesus responded to them. If we looked back and went to the very opening verses, we would read there that the word came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And this would, this would be a meaningful thing uh, in, in, in the course of things. This wasn't just some stranger saying, oh, my, my daughter, for example, is sick at home. Would you come heal her? This was his friend. The, this was Mary and Martha with whom Jesus had spent time and had spent time in their home and taken dinner in their home and things like that. And so when the word came that, that their, his friend Lazarus was sick, you would have expected that Jesus was, would have gotten up and gone, and yet he did not go at all. In fact, what the verse uh, 6 says is when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. There's one thing you can be sure about is Jesus doesn't perform according to our expectations, but he does what glorifies the Father through his ministry. So he stays there for two days. And then, the, and then he says to his disciples, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again. You see, when Jesus said, nah, we don't need to go. You know, Lazarus is sick. I understand Lazarus is sick. But we don't need to go. 
I think the disciples probably said, that's a good deal. We're fine with that, Jesus. As they pointed out, they're trying to kill you there. You go to Jerusalem, they're opposed to you. There's going to be a real problem if you go there. There's going to be a problem for you. There's going to be a problem for us. And so that's fine with us. Jesus, you want to stay here? That's okay. That was their response to the problem. They looked at it in terms of how do I get through this? What's in it for me? How, how do I navigate this difficulty and this problem so that I, I don't get destroyed and I don't get killed in my own life? So they, they were fine with that. They were looking at it. And, it, and I'm not, not saying this to blame them. It's the way all of us look at things a lot of times is that this just seemed like a good plan. Jesus will stay put here. And then Jesus says, well, now let's go. They said, well, Jesus, they're trying to kill you. Kill you. And uh, what Jesus basically does in the next two verses, he says, well, uh, actually, we've got to be about doing what, uh, what needs to be done. And then uh, after saying these things, he said to them, this is verse 11. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Ah, they said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. You know, the fever is broken, the illness is passed, whatever it is. He's just resting up now. He's regaining his strength. He's going to recover, Jesus. And naturally, they haven't understood him because Jesus was speaking about his death. And so in verse 14, he tells them plainly, Lazarus has died. But look, verse 15. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. In other words, what Jesus was saying was that, guys, you're looking at this all wrong. You're looking at this situation as if you were at the middle of it. You were the center. You were the focal point of it. In point of fact, the glory of God is the focal point of what's happening. This isn't about you. This is about the glory of God. Now, I grant you that's hard to see. It would be hard for me as a disciple back then to have seen it. It's hard for us now in the middle of the, uh, what, I don't know if we're shut down, locked down, or quarantined, but whatever it is, we're staying close to home. And you look at that and you say, now where's the glory of God in all this? You know, where's the glory in, uh, of God in, in people who are dying or people who are getting sick or the, or the, the economic distress that people are facing? And, and we look at that, but uh, most of the time, we're looking at that on the basis of what's going on in my life, and we need to understand this isn't about us. It's about the glory of God. It's about what God is doing in the world to draw us closer to him that we might understand who he is and magnify him and praise the glory of his grace in Christ Jesus. So when the disciples responded basically in, in a very natural, very human sort of sort of, well, let's, let's play the system to work our own way, what's best for us. Jesus challenged them, and, it, and he said, you know, you need to be reminded, this is about the glory of God. And then Jesus got up and he went. And I love the, the following verses. I'll just read them because they deserve to be read. So, Mo, so, Moses, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And so they were challenged to follow Jesus. Jesus said, it's about the glory of God. Thomas said, okay. That, if that means we die, we're going to do it following Jesus. Well, the story goes on, and uh, Jesus goes to Bethany where, where the sisters and, and uh, Lazarus has, has died, and the, and the sisters are there mourning for him. 
And uh, the scripture says in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Now, just about every time we see Mary and Martha in the New Testament, Martha is doing something, and Mary is a little bit sort of holding back and is actually, uh, to tell you the truth, experiencing things more than Martha is. Martha, uh, when Jesus came to, to dinner one time, Martha was in the kitchen and she was preparing meals and all that. And Mary was out at the feet of Jesus learning. They were having Bible study together. That's the time that Martha says, Jesus, don't you care? I'm doing all this work and Mary's doing nothing. Tell her to help me. And Jesus said, well, actually, Martha, Mary's chosen the better thing. Later on in, in the Gospel of John, we'll see that they're, they're having dinner together. And Martha, again, is serving and she's taking care of the table and all that. And that's when Mary gets up and she washes the feet of Jesus. So uh, Martha is, is very much a servant. She's very much a doer. It, it, her way of getting through this tension of a death in the family was to make sure everyone was fed and everyone was comfortable. She was being the hostess and she was taking care of all that. And so when she hears Jesus is coming, this is something else she needs to do. So she's going out to see Jesus. Mary, meanwhile, for whatever reason, she remains seated in the house. I kind of feel like maybe she was experiencing the emotionality of it more. But people respond differently, and everybody's unique in how they respond. So Mary goes out and, uh, and finds Jesus. In verse 21, no, or Martha goes out. And Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, that's good enough so far. If you'd been here, my, my, my brother wouldn't have died little bit disappointed here we sent word we told you he was sick we gave you plenty of time to get here and if you'd come my brother wouldn't have died but then she says this but even now I know that whatever you ask from God God will give you you got to give Martha credit it was true if Jesus had been there Lazarus wouldn't have died it was also true that God will still give whatever Jesus asks. So Mary hasn't retreated from, from her faith in Christ. She hasn't retreated from her uh, absolute confidence in the ability and the power of Christ. She's simply pointing out a fact. You didn't come, he died. But she's also pointing out another theological fact. But God still responds to what you ask, Jesus. See, she's not rejecting Jesus. But she's sure going through those, those kinds of, of thought processes that we have so often. And so when she said, but God will listen to you, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I mean, that, that's a terrific promise. And Martha takes it the way you and I would take it. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Yes, Jesus, I know that's a theological reality. Yes, I know that in Bible study, uh, the dead will rise again in Christ and, and all the glory of the resurrection. That, that certainly, that's a wonderful thing. Thank you very much, Jesus. We know that already. Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, this resurrection you think is way off out there somewhere someday? I'm the resurrection. I'm standing right in your midst. This hope that you have for someday is today. This hope that you say will take place somewhere, somehow, is taking place right here, right now. Martha, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. See, the resurrection isn't a concept. It's the person of Jesus Christ. 
The resurrection isn't just some nice idea. Wouldn't it be nice as if we could come back to life or when things go badly, they turn around. No, the resurrection is the reality of the power of God in Christ Jesus when he died for our sins and then God raised him from the dead. And so Jesus says, I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You know, we could have a sermon series there unpacking what that means. But basically, Jesus says, you know, you, it, somebody believes in me. The resurrection becomes the reality of their life. And death has no more, no more hold over them. But then he says this. This is the end of verse 26. Do you believe this? Not really, do you think this is true? Not really, do you know that this is the right answer on a multiple choice test? But Martha... Do you believe this deep down in your soul? Because, Martha, you think about a lot of things, and that's great, and you, you consider things, and that's fantastic. But, Martha, do you believe this so much that it will radically transform your life? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Folks, she got there before Peter did. She got there before James and John and Andrew. She got there before anybody else. At the end of the gospel, John says, these things are written so that you may believe, and believing have eternal life. And here she is. She is believing. She is believing not in that casual way, not in sort of a superficial way. She's believing in the depths of her heart, in the midst of the greatest crisis of her life, in the midst of the sorrow and the confusion of the death of her brother? Jesus, I believe. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. Folks, whatever else we say this morning won't make sense until you answer that question, do you believe? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? And until you can say yes, you, you, you simply will not know the power of the resurrection in your life. So what happens here is that Martha comes to Jesus, a very active person, um, you know, a very thoughtful person, and she comes with a question, but she comes with an affirmation, you know, that, well, God still listens to you, Jesus. I, I'm not doubting that. And Jesus answers her need. Where the disciples needed to be reminded, this is about the glory of God. Martha needed to be reminded, and this is about where your faith really is. This is about where your investment of your life really lies. Now, this brings us now to our text. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher's here. He's calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, you, you just got to imagine the picture. Martha comes in and very quietly just whispers to him, because the, the, the house is crowded with people who have come to mourn with him. And, and uh, Martha says, Mary, Mary, Jesus is is here. Jesus has come. He's, he's outside. He's calling for you. You need to go see Jesus. And Mary gets up and she goes out and everybody else looking at that says, wow, she must be going to the grave. She's going to weep there. Let's go with her. We're going to, we're going to continue this gig out there. And so the whole crowd is going out. <laughs> I just think about the frustration Martha might have had, you know, trying to just do this quietly and Mary turns it into a production. Okay, that's just the way I'm reading it this morning. 
Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, look at this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same words as Martha. But Mary stops there. I mean, they may have been saying this to each other all along. If only Jesus had been here, we sent word. If only Jesus had been here, he, Lazarus would not have died. The difference was Martha was a thinker and she kept thinking through this thing. And she said, but the, I still think God will do whatever Jesus asks. Mary was more of a, a person who experienced things, I think, emotionally. You see, if, if only he'd been here, my brother would not have died. And because of that, she was, she was just plunged into deep sorrow. Because in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was moved and greatly troubled. So much tears going on. Now, we shouldn't deny the reality of tears. Shouldn't deny the reality of emotions. You know, one of the first things we learn to do in life is cry. And we learn that crying gets us things. Sometimes crying makes things better. Some people will say, well, you just need to have a good cry. Uh, yeah, I just need to have my, reds, my eyes bloodshot red and my face all puffy and everybody asking, what's wrong, what's wrong? Yeah. Maybe, maybe some people need a good cry. But we, we come into the world, and one of the first things we do is we learn to cry. Now, somewhere along the line, in our culture, little boys are taught, big boys don't cry. This is a bad piece of advice. You know, big boys don't cry. And so we go through life, I'm too strong to cry and all that. But in point of fact, big boys do cry. And tears are real. We, we cry for all kinds of reasons. We, we cry for what, what I would call external reasons. External reasons for crying are things like cutting onions and hitting your thumb with a hammer. You know, they, these are worthwhile reasons to cry. But there are internal reasons as well. There's the sorrow of the heart. I mean, one way to think about depression is you just feel like you're on the edge of a crying jag all the time. Those are just as real as onions and just as undeniable as a hammer. And so the, the tears come and they overwhelm us and they're, and they're real and there's no sense trying to deny them. And Jesus looked around and he saw the, uh, the people and there's Mary and she's crying and all the people around are crying. And he didn't stand up and say, you know, folks, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't need to mourn like that. Don't you know I'm the resurrection and the life? That's what Martha needed. She needed the explanation. But Mary needed something else. When, Mary, when Jesus looked at her and he looked at the people and he saw them just dissolved in tears, it moved something inside of him. And Jesus wept. He wept for, their, uh, wept for their anguish, wept for their, their, their lostness, wept for the intransigency of, of their reliance upon their own understanding, wept for them because they didn't know the glory of what God was about to do. He wept for them, with them, in the way that he would die for us with our sins upon himself. 
That's why I said we don't understand the profound nature of this verse, Jesus wept, unless we go back and get a running start into it because Jesus wept isn't just an observation of what he happened to be doing at the time. It's actually a signal that Jesus is ministering perfectly to those in grief. And he comes and he stands with them and he cries with them and he weeps with them. Never alone, but with Jesus there at their side. You see, there's something about tears, and that is the tears are real, but they do not rule. Because Jesus wept, and then the next thing he does is he gets up, he has the stone rolled away from the tomb, he calls Lazarus out of the grave, and this is all for the glory of the Father, for the glory of God, so that all would know that what was coming was the fullness of the resurrection power of the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. He knew that was coming, but he paused to take just a moment for Mary to know her tears were okay if she would just trust him. She would just trust him. And so this morning you might need to be reminded that you know this life, this world, this situation that we're going through now is not about us. It's not about you. It's about the glory of God. And the pathway through it is not to figure out some clever scheme and some clever strategy, but the path through it is to just look to the glory of God and to follow the glory of God. Do all the things the experts tell us to do and to be, to be um, wise about our decisions, but ultimately to know that it's not just that God has this covered, he has us covered. Or maybe you're somebody and you, you like to think about these things. You, you, you've done your Bible study, you've gotten all that that. that stuff down in your head, but what you need to know is there has to be a connection between what we read in Scripture and, and, and how we live and how we work that out. You just need to answer the question, do you really believe this? Because all the protestations of what the Bible says doesn't mean a thing if it's not what I believe as well. So you might need to know that. Or you may need to just know that Jesus loves you. He knows our griefs. He understands our sorrows. You're in a place where he has been, and he hasn't lost track of you. It's just, all this is just another way of saying to deny yourself and take up a cross daily and to follow him. It's a dangerous thing, I know that. It means you're not in control, but you're not anyway. It means that you don't get to uh, guarantee your comfort but then you can't guarantee life anyway but when you deny yourself take up a cross daily follow him and live for the glory of God with faith in the promises of God and trusting in the comfort of God then we truly are living for his glory and that's how we get through it because the bottom line is not just that God has it covered he has us covered. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you for the magnitude and the wonder of your strength and power in our lives. Thank you that your understanding is not limited as ours is. Thank you that you see a picture that includes not just the next day, the next week, month, or year, but takes into account all eternity. Thank you, Father, that your love is so magnificent that we can rest 
in the comfort of your presence. Father, thank you for loving us this way. All in Jesus' name, amen.